name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Our dear Heavenly Father, again, we gather in, in this place on this day wherein we have already sat around thy holy and eternal word. But once again we have this opportunity, and once again we must beseech thee in prayer that thou would again grant unto us and give unto us that heavenly portion which only comes from thee, which we cannot take of ourselves, but which we can only receive. And even then only with a heart which thou dost prepare. So all things are in thy hands, and we know that it is thy good pleasure to give unto us of thy kingdom. Even this evening hour we lay hold of that promise. And we pray that thy word might be open unto our hearts, and that we could delve into those matters which are sweet and blessed unto the undying soul and spirit, strengthening and uplifting unto our hearts, and which make known unto us a hope beyond this life, and a promise that is to be fulfilled even as sure and steadfast as thy word is. We remember those who are in beds of pain, the sick and the infirm, the aged, and all who are experiencing troubles and turmoils of heart and conscience, and who need thy help, thou alone art able to help, and we bring them all before thee. Hear us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Song number 169. Oh, Jesus, I am singing. Jesus, oh. Yeah. 
opportunity and that blessing to gather and to hear God's holy and eternal word. And it certainly is sweet and blessed to the soul and to the spirit. And we thank God that he so provides and cares for us. We will continue then this evening hour and read a portion from the book of Hebrews, same book that was read from this morning also, but from a different chapter. We'll read the first seven verses of the <coughs> 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 7, in, in Jesus' name. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the world's 
were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Amen. This 11th chapter of Hebrews is known as the chapter of faith. And it is obvious why it has been given that title because it speaks so much about faith and gives us so many examples throughout the scriptures of those who have journeyed in faith and by faith and through faith and have found <clears throat> acceptance with God and they have been blessed because of what they have believed. Faith is much spoken of in the world today. There are many who say they believe, but probably many more who say they do not believe. <clears throat> and there is also in the Word of God spoken unto us concerning faith that there is one kind of faith that is known as dead faith and there is another faith that is known as living faith. And I don't believe that there is any other kind of faith because there is either a faith that will save us and there is a faith that will not save. But immediately <clears throat> the question arises in the mind and in the reason of man that how is it possible to believe and not be saved? How is it possible to have faith and yet not be saved thereby? Jesus <clears throat> says among other places in scripture, he says, thou sayest, Thou believest, thou doest well, yea, the devils believe and tremble. So even the devils believed. 
that it was <clears throat> that it was indeed Jesus the son of God and that he had power over them as we read in the first chapter of Mark we know who thou art the Holy One of God why hast thou come to to torment us before our time they were unclean spirits or evil spirits that were within a man and they made known their knowledge of who Jesus was <clears throat> and therefore no doubt it is said that they believe and they tremble because they know the power of God over them and it is merely a matter of time when when that power will be demonstrated and heaven and earth will pass away and the elements will melt with fervent heat and the, the devil and, and all his angels will be bound and shackled and cast into the lake of fire eternally separated from God in that place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So then what is, <clears throat> what is that faith that is a saving faith that we need to have in order to be saved and found acceptable unto God? There is a faith that is based on one's own reason and understanding and It is not a scriptural faith. It is not one that is is given of God, a gift of God, like Paul says in another place, that by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So there is a faith that is then a gift of God, and surely it is that faith which also is a saving faith for God is not a giver of bad gifts every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above and is given unto us of the father of lights with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning so then if God gives us the gift of faith then we know that it is a it is a saving faith And how do we know then that we have a faith that is saving and that we have the scriptural faith? As Jesus says, he that believeth on me as the scripture says, from within him shall come forth rivers of waters or wells of water springing up unto eternal life if we believe as the scripture says it is a faith that then becomes evident outwardly also with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation now therein already is made known unto us the difference between God given faith and dead faith or faith of reason 
the face of God, the gift of God, is given unto the heart. And with the man, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Why is it that God has so given the gift of faith that he places it in the heart? Not in the mind or in the reason or in the understanding. For we read here that through faith we understand. <clears throat> it doesn't, understanding does not precede faith, but it follows after. Through faith we understand. It is not such then that we understand and therefore we believe. But it is through faith that we understand. So there is then also the understanding that becomes involved and is also a part of the work of God when living faith is instilled within the heart. But there is also another matter that he speaks of here and that is hope, faith and hope. We remember that famous chapter that is often quoted, the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, where it ends with the word that now there abideth these three, faith, hope, and charity. And the greatest of these is charity or love. <clears throat> Here it tells us what the definition of faith is. It is the substance of things hoped for. And it is the evidence of things not seen. Living faith and living hope go together. And they cannot be separated from each other. You cannot believe something you do not hope for. And you do not hope for something you do not believe either. It is impossible. Unless you hope for something, you will not believe that <clears throat> you will obtain it. Even though that hope and that faith is founded upon a false foundation entirely. Like a poor man, for instance, hopes to someday be rich. And he believes that he will someday be rich. And his whole endeavor, his whole life, is based on that dream, that hope, and that faith that someday he's going to be rich and he dies still a poor man and he never obtains that. <clears throat> so, even then it is not always a matter of a saving faith and a saving hope just because the person hopes and believes. But it is a demonstration of the fact that you cannot separate them from each other. When it is concerning the spiritual things, it is plainly evident and true. But in some instances, in the natural way, man can have a false hope and yet he knows the inevitable that it is true. And whether he wants to believe it 
Whether he desires to believe it or not, it is still, it is still there and he must believe. For one thing, for instance, is death. No one hopes to die. They hope to obtain eternal life. But yet they believe and know that death is evident, is eminent for them and, and it is ahead of them. They do not look forward to it, but nonetheless it is there. That is based on a, and a false foundation and a poor foundation. It is not a saving faith. Whereas living faith, again, is to the contrary. There is a hope that soon death would come. Have we not visited many of those who have been sick, who are believing hearts, and they have hope that Jesus would soon come? And they believe that he is coming soon. And they even think of it daily, that it would be today. <clears throat> I remember my brother-in-law who was dying of cancer. Every day he would tell his wife in the hospital, pray that Jesus would come today. His hope that it would be that very day that Jesus would come and his pain and his suffering would be over and that he knew and believed that there was a crown of righteousness awaiting him. And who gave him that assurance and that confidence? And who has given anyone, any, any believing heart who lies on their deathbed and waits and hopes for death to come? And at the same time believes that when it comes, it will bring on them onto eternal life. It is God who gives that kind of faith and that kind of assurance. And that kind of hope, because it is a living hope, and it is a saving faith, a living faith also. But dead faith that is founded on one's own reason and, and one's own abilities, it is based on self-righteousness. A virtuous person believes that because of his goodness and his merits that God will take him to heaven and he believes that he will be saved on the basis of his virtuous life. <clears throat> and he knows nothing about the burden and the guilt of sin. That is the work of God when God prepares a heart in which he also gives his gift of faith the gift to believe and lay hold of his promises, without which, as we read here, it is impossible to please God. Meaning then that without this faith, it is also impossible to be saved. It is impossible to enter into eternal life. So it must be that there is faith within the heart, a saving and a living faith, and yet it is not something that one has of himself or is able to muster by his own will or desire. It is not subject to the will of man, even though one would want to believe. He still cannot, even though he desires, because if the heart cannot grasp living faith, one cannot believe.
That is another reason why God has so ordained that with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, because it is not subject unto the will of man, the heart of man. It is a, as uh, Ivor Lumpa often said when he was in our midst, that it is a little kingdom in itself, it rules all by itself, and it takes no orders from the will or from the mind or reason of man. That is how the heart of man is. And is it any wonder then that it is also so mysterious that the scripture says, who can know it? It is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, the very heart of man. It has deceived many. Their own very hearts have deceived them. Because they have, they have, for instance, a young man could have aspirations of riches and fame and honor and glory in this life. But then he falls in love with the devil of drunkenness. He becomes an alcoholic. And his heart, which is the source of all evil lusts and desires, begins to serve. And he loves that devil of alcoholism even though his mind and reason would want to overcome it but he has no power or strength and so he serves it and all his hopes and his aspirations are dashed to pieces and his life rather becomes a shambles and all that his dream all his dreams that he has had never are fulfilled Even a young man may have thoughts in his mind and in his desire of what kind of future wife he wants to have. She must look and he pictures in his mind what she's supposed to be like and, and her very life and her conduct and her, her habits and everything he has. A picture in his mind and he desires and that's what he wants his future wife to be like. <clears throat> but when the time comes that the heart finds the, the one that he loves, it's not always. It's entirely a different picture. And yet, he cannot overcome the feelings of his own heart. And, and the thoughts and desires of his mind and will, they are cast aside. And he goes by the feelings of his heart. And such is, such is the, the heart of man. And that is where God's work takes place also. Living faith is kindled within the heart after God has awakened that heart, wakened the conscience and the heart and brought to the knowledge of sin and guilt and, and that heart has experienced travail and anguish because of sin and the, and the guilt and the condemnation that sin brings. And when everything else is then gone, <clears throat> and even though one would have a desire to repair his life and would want that it would be better, he cannot. He has no strength, no power. And he must then resort entirely to to trust in the grace of God 
And even then, contrary to his own feelings, when his own heart condemns him, um, he cannot find any reason to believe that God would even be merciful to such a one as I am. Because of my many sins and my many transgressions, the sinful life that I have lived in, I have married not, merited nothing of God's goodness or deserve nothing of his grace or favor. <clears throat> and he finds nothing but despair and darkness and misery and woe within his own heart until, until a bright ray of the sunshine of God's grace permeates into the depth of his heart and casts aside all those all those feelings and and that accusation and guilt and condemnation and, of sin and they are all at once destroyed and drowned like the hosts of Pharaoh in the in the waves of the Red Sea and the heart is set free and then experiences the feelings of, of grace that come afterward. The joy for living faith also is accompanied with the joy and the peace of a good conscience. Those are the feelings of grace. But that those feelings of grace are not yet new birth, even though they are <clears throat> part of it. But they are not the same because the disciples on, on Mount Tabor, the Mount of Transfiguration, they experienced feelings of grace and it was good for them to be there. So good that they wished to build a tabernacle there for, for, for the prophets as well as for Jesus. And said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. But those were temporary feelings of grace and they didn't last long. <clears throat> and soon they forgot them altogether when they experienced despair and sorrow when Jesus was crucified. Now those feelings of grace were hardly remembered anymore when their hearts were pained and, and they were in such anguish Everything was lost. Their hope of an earthly kingdom was dashed to pieces and, and all the benefits that they hoped to enjoy and had enjoyed in following Christ were now gone. They had nothing but their own condemning hearts that they had even forsaken him. Whereas they thought before their faith was strong like a mountain and they would last and it would it would stand firm and yet it all crumbled to pieces their their own spiritual world was crumbled to pieces and they had nothing then Jesus appeared unto them and showed them his hands and feet and his wounded side and once again they experienced even joy and gladness and forgot their pain and anguish and trouble that they had experienced in their heart. And this was also feelings of grace, but that still was not new birth. Because they soon afterward 
were asking already that, Lord, would thou at this time establish thy kingdom? They were still looking for an earthly kingdom. And who of them would be greatest in that kingdom? That's what their thoughts were. So they were still, as Lestadius says, their umbilical cord was attached to the world. Yet at that time, even though a precious work had taken place within their hearts, it was not until after the day of Pentecost that all these thoughts were gone and all these hopes were gone and they realized then the real purpose why Jesus had come when they had received the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost came upon them and they believed and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to preach not about themselves but they began to preach about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And then their faith was lasting. It was no longer based on temporary feelings, but on a solid and firm and steadfast foundation. And that is God's word and the redemptive work of Christ. And that is the foundation of living and true faith, is the redemptive work of Christ, what he has accomplished. Not what man has been able to do or accomplish, however good or however bad it is. It is not the foundation of our of our faith, but only what Jesus has done. <clears throat> Even Luther experienced in his own life such a change that the day came when he he realized and knew that it is not by his own deeds or merits, but through the redemptive work of Christ. It was not because of the sinful life that he had lived, because of his sins and his, and his immoral life and conduct that he was condemned, but Luther was condemned because of his hatred for God's righteousness, God's severe righteousness. He hated God's severe righteousness that required of him a righteousness that he was not able to find in himself. And he found himself hating the righteousness of God. Now, tell the reason of man to believe God, that God is good and gracious. When he experienced within his heart a hatred toward God because of his righteousness, there was nothing else that could convince Luther to believe, certainly not his mind and his reasoning or his condemning heart because of what he felt, but only when the bright shaft of God's grace again penetrated into his heart and he realized the words of Paul that the just shall live by faith, not without not with any merits or worthiness on our part, however good or however bad our life has been. But it is all through the merits and redemptive work of Christ. And it is somewhat also the experience of Paul, much the same as Luther's experience. Paul lived a good life as well. But when he was awakened to the knowledge of his own sin and error, he saw that in him was no good thing. And he says then that 
I was alive without the law once, but the commandment came and sin revived and I died. And that which was ordained unto life I found to be unto death. And he said he had not known sin except the commandment said thou shalt not covet. Now he found his own heart in such a condemning condition that in spite of his virtuous life that he thought he lived, he was a murderer of the Son of God. A murderer of Christ. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now convince that mind and reasoning of Paul to believe when in his own heart he knew that he was a murderer of the Son of God. It was impossible to convince his mind and his reasoning to believe. But only again that the grace of God and the love of God in Christ Jesus <clears throat> could shine into his heart and reveal the love that God has that while we were yet ungodly while we were yet enemies of God we have been reconciled unto him through his son through the blood of his cross <clears throat> these are the experiences of of those souls that have come from the darkness of sin into God's kingdom and living faith has been kindled within their hearts. It is there where God's work takes place and along with it comes then a living hope that is spoken of here. Faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence or a strong conviction of things not seen. It is, in other words, strongly convicted of the things that it hopes and lays hold upon them. That is what faith is. See how closely they are together, entwined together. Peter says that we are begotten again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. A living hope through Christ Jesus <clears throat> and it is then that this living hope also inspires a, a faith, a saving faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It seems like hope comes first, doesn't it? A saving hope. For if a man can see, as the scripture says, what doth he yet hope for? But there, the first rays of hope are kindled within the heart by promises of God's grace promises of God's goodness that he hears through the gospel maybe there is hope for me maybe there is, is something I can yet lay hold of and so hope a living hope begins to be kindled within the heart of, of the sinner who has been brought under the condemnation 
and the guilt of sin through God's awakening of that conscience, maybe there is a hope for me. And he begins to experience some joy because of it. And when it kindles, that faith further is kindled, or that hope is kindled into faith that yes, it is through the gospel of Christ, Jesus has suffered and died for you. He has taken your sins and your transgressions upon him. He has borne them onto the middle cross of Calvary. He has taken your place. You don't have to perish because of your sins, as you would justly merit. But Jesus has taken your sins, and he has borne them. And he, in turn, offers his grace freely as a gift unto you. His grace and his merit and his righteousness is offered a gift unto you. With the heart then man believeth unto righteousness. And when such a faith is kindled within the heart, a living and saving faith, one cannot be silent. It comes forth by the confession of the mouth. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That has always been God's work and God's doing and the way God brings a sinner into his kingdom. And by no other way is one who is bound for hell because of his sins and transgressions changed into one who is on his way to eternal heaven and glory. It is only by God's work entirely from beginning to end. For by it, that is by faith, then the elders have obtained a good report. They had witness borne unto them by faith, and many of them are listed here in this chapter that we read of, and many, many more. <clears throat> As it says in the very closing part of this chapter that there are many more others who had had trials and, and cruel mockings and scourgings and bonds and imprisonments, and they were stoned and they were sawn asunder, were tempted and were slain and, and by the sword, wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of, the whom, of whom the world was not worthy. They are all among those who have borne witness unto us of the work of God. <clears throat> and then he speaks here of, of the first example that he mentions of Abel. Abel, Cain and Abel were the first children of Adam and Eve, as we know. And he tells us, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice on, than Cain. We sometimes wonder why was God pleased with Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. Well, it tells us here why. Because Abel offered up by faith a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. What does that mean? Does it mean that when Cain, when Abel offered up his sacrifice, he believed that mine is better than Cain's? That's not what it means. It means simply that he by faith offered it up unto God and believed that this is acceptable to God. 
because God has required it and asked of it. And he offered it by faith. And Cain did not offer by faith. But Cain offered because of the proudness of his own heart. For was it not already that his very parents had esteemed him as Eve said when Cain was born that I have received a man-child of the Lord. The promise that God gave unto Adam and Eve and it became evident later that he rose up against his own brother and slew him. By faith Abel offered up unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and by it he being dead yet speaketh. It was only the matter of faith that made the difference. Cain did not have faith. But he had that false assurance of dead faith. That because he was offering the gift it was pleasing unto God. Was he not the firstborn of Adam and Eve? Was he not the one whom they favored? That he followed in the footsteps of his father and was a tiller of the ground just like his father had that honorable position but Cain or Abel the less honorable to tend the flocks of sheep. But it was faith within the heart of Abel that made the difference. Not something that he himself thought of but God had placed it there. His heart was of that nature before God that a gift of faith was given unto him by which he offered up that sacrifice which was, which was pleasing unto him. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Meaning that Enoch was taken up alive into heaven and he was not found. He did not die a natural death. But he was literally taken up alive. No longer was found upon this earth. God translated him. And it was also by faith. Because Enoch pleased God. He believed God. For before his translation he had this testimony. That he pleased God. <clears throat> and without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Does this indicate then unto us that man can put some effort into it and because of his diligent efforts that God looks favorable upon him? No, it is not so. But when God awakens the conscience of man to the knowledge of his sin that is the only avenue of escape that he finds and it is revealed unto him through the gospel that is the only ray of hope that he can see shining forth from the from the hill of Golgotha the redemptive work of Christ that in him is the hope of all Israel as Simeon made known when he took up the Christ child a light to lighten the Gentiles and the hope of thy people Israel. That ray of hope shines forth from Christ. And it causes also those who, in whose heart it shines to begin to diligently seek the source of that ray of hope. And it directs us unto Christ, our 
our Savior and our Redeemer. By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, and he began to build an ark, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. God told Noah, as we know the familiar story, that he is to destroy the world by flood because of the sins and iniquities of mankind have come up before him. And man is evil. The thoughts of his heart are evil from his youth up. And he would therefore destroy mankind from the face of the earth. And he commanded Noah to build an ark for the saving of his house, that is, his own family, and all those who would be willing to enter into the ark with him. Noah believed as having not yet seen anything, not even a single raindrop had he seen, because a mist of water went up from the ground that watered the ground. That is what we read in the first chapter of Genesis. Before the flood, that's how it was. A mist rose up from the ground and watered the earth and gave life and sustenance to all the plants that God had created. And Noah yet believed. He believed the same as all have believed before him and after him. It is only by the God-given gift of faith. <clears throat> by faith, he was warned, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet. And he didn't see them for 120 years. And is, isn't it amazing that he still believed and he feared God. He knew certainly that God's word is true. Time is not the element that decides things with God. But it is his word and his promise. God is not subject to time. He decreed that a flood would come, and even though it took 120 years, yet the day came when Noah entered into the ark, and God shut the door, and the windows of heaven were open, and the fountains of the deep were open, and water came from everywhere. So Noah believed, and he was moved with fear. He feared God with a reverential fear and awe, and a faith, not a slavish fear, but the same kind of fear that Luther speaks of in the meaning of the commandments when he says that we should so fear and love God. It is that fear that is coupled with love. The opposite fear of slavish fear is coupled with hatred. Like a slave fears his master, but he hates him just the same. He certainly doesn't love his master because of the bondage that he is in. We read of that in the in the histories of the southern plantations when they had slavery. How many of those masters were killed by their own slaves when they had the opportunity because they hated them. And the masters knew that. And therefore they kept them under such oppression and bondage that they had no opportunity to fulfill their hatred. That was 
fear that was coupled with hatred. It is a slavish fear. But the fear that Noah had, and which is pleasing unto God, is coupled with love. We fear and love God. Fear him because of his majesty and and power and his righteousness, but also motivated to be obedient and reverence him because of it. And love him for what he has, because he has first loved us. And so he prepared the ark for the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. When he built that ark, he condemned the world because he believed God and that faith was accounted for righteousness. And it came to pass just like Noah believed. It is interesting, I just recently heard a news article that it is just now that science has has come up with the knowledge and the fact that there has been a flood, a worldwide flood, some 5,000 years ago, and that it lasted for about 300 days. The flood of Noah was about that time and lasted for 10 months or a space of a year after after it began that Noah was in the ark. Isn't it amazing that it is so? Science, when it is on the right track, comes to the ultimate conclusion of what is true and right according to Scripture, never contrary to it. But often we know they are on the wrong track in many things, and they never come to the knowledge of the truth. But science, because it is based on man's knowledge and wisdom, is still so far behind. Imagine that it took them that long to discover that fact that we knew all along. Every every child in Sunday school has learned many years ago that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth by the power of his word and that there was a flood. We believe that because God's word tells us that. By faith we understand that. But science that is not based on faith, the faith of the heart, but only upon what man is able to reason and concoct in his mind by his intellect, still is so far behind that it takes him so long to discover something that is a simple truth in the word of God. Even when he is on the right track, let alone then not speaking of when when they go off on a tangent and begin to come up with theories that are like the theory of evolution and many others that are not anything more than a theory and never founded on fact as we have the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and how it was. Everything was there. We read them in the book of Genesis. Everything was there as God made it. And so that the things which, as it says here, the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. But they were made out of nothing. God first made the material. He created the heavens and the earth. And everything was there, all the material, just like it is a natural thing. If you want to make something, you have to find the material to make it with first. 
God has established that in, in everything that we do. But we can't create the material. We have to find it. We have to gather it from somewhere. If we want to make something, you have to find the material to make it with. And then only can you make it if you have the ability, the knowledge, the wisdom, and an understanding to do so. God is the maker of all things. In the beginning, he made the heavens and the earth. He made the material from which everything was made. But it was all, all just together in one mass. And the earth was waste and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and he divided the light from the darkness. And the light he called day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Light and darkness were even all there together. But it was not until God separated them and divided them that light came forth out of the darkness. And now they were no longer together, but they were separated. And it has been so ever since. As much as there is light, there is that much less darkness. As much as there is darkness, there is that much less light. If there is total light, there is total darkness. Void of total darkness. Of darkness completely. But we can never attain that brightness of light here on this earth. However bright a light, there is always some shadow that appears. There is only one light that is that bright, that in him is no darkness at all, and that is God. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The creator of light, the maker of all things. <clears throat> and all things he made from the beginning. And then when he had first made the materials, then he separated them. Let the, let the light appear and let the, uh, the plants and the, and the fishes and the birds, those that are above in the firmaments and the fishes which are in the sea, let them fill the seas and so on. All these things then God made. And man he took out of the dust of the earth, that which he had already made, he formed man out of the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, man became a living soul. Everything was made at that time, which exists today, in different forms, no doubt, but it is all there, that God has made. And we know that there are those laws that you cannot create it. You can only change it from one form to another. Because God has only that power to create it. He has made it. And not out of things that are seen, but of things that are unseen. He was made of nothing. And the day will come when by the power of God's word again, Peter tells us that the heavens shall pass away with a mighty noise, and the earth and the elements, the very elements, will melt with fervent heat, and all the earth and, its, and the works thereof shall be destroyed. It will be burned up. It will once again be nothing, because that's what it was made out of. The only thing of substance, then, is that which in the minds of man has no substance at all, and that is faith. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Because it is God's work. And those who have this lasting substance of faith and hope within the heart will have something upon which to stand. And that is God's word. But those who have not the word of God and not living faith have nothing to stand on. And hence they will have to plunge into the bottomless pit of hell with their understandings, with their wisdom, with their knowledge, with their criticism of scripture, with their laughing and mockery of God's word, and with their false conceptions of God and of the things of God, and with their wrong understandings and theories, their scientific knowledge. Science is perhaps the highest wisdom that man knows. The realm of science, it is a, is an endless quest and it seems like scientists have the highest esteem and they are looked to as the most knowledgeable men, like Einstein was. Yet only in those things that he was on the right track according to God's word was he able to come forth with matters that are truth and found to be true even, even today. But whether he had saving faith, we do not know. Let that be in God's hands to decide. But he was not saved if he was by his knowledge and by his scientific theories. There is no scientific theory that man can concoct and which he can arrive at mathematically or logistically and, and say, therefore, this is faith and this is what is pleasing unto God. He cannot. It is a gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. All to the glory and praise of God. In Jesus' name, Amen. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We'll have... Services Thursday evening at 7.30 and then next Sunday, Sunday school at 9.30 with services following at 10.30. In closing, we'll sing song number 295.